podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. What a fantastic goal that is from Derby! Hello and season's greetings. Welcome along to Steve Bloomer's Washing, the independent Derby County podcast for our final episode of 2019. It's been a frankly ludicrous 12 months for our club, even by Derby standards. So as well as looking back on the Boxing Day draw at Wigan that we have just witnessed, we're going to be reflecting on the year that was with your five-word reviews, revisiting a few of our favourite moments from the pod in 2019 and asking what 2020 and the new decade may bring for the Rams. So joining me, Chris Parsons, for Podcast 72. He's still a bit tipsy from the Christmas Day eggnog. It's Richard Kutcher. Did you have a good day yesterday? Uh, lovely day, yeah. Excellent, excellent Christmas in the Cotswolds. Uh, plenty of eggnog, plenty of uh, red wine and cheese, lots of cheese. So you were giving it a big one on your Instagram story about making some mulled wine from scratch. How did uh, how'd that turn out for you? Yeah, I, uh, I picked the cinnamon sticks myself. I <laughs> harvested some bay leaves and, uh, no, yeah, made a lovely uh, mulled wine syrup on Christmas Eve and then poured in uh, copious amounts of uh, box French red wine and it went down a delight. It's just hot red wine, basically, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, which is no bad thing. Now, now, people listen to us, don't they? And they think so. that they, they you know, think, sure, you know, podcasting's a glamorous game. Um, I, w- I wish I was as glamorous as the Steve Bloom's Washing Boys, but it's um, it's a time of year when we're trying to squeeze in one more episode. So, with that in mind, we are literally recording this in a car park in Wigan in your family's Toyota Prius. I mean, we, we, are, we are breaking new ground here, audio-wise, aren't we? Well, cars famously have excellent acoustics, so this might be the best-sounding podcast that uh, we produce in, I mean, in 2019. I mean, you know, don't take my word for it. Here's, here's the car door. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely closed, isn't it? I'll do it again. Yeah, yeah it is now. <laughs> um, so, yeah, we've just witnessed uh, Wigan 1, Derby 1, which we'll get to in a second. But as you all know by now, Steve Bloomer's Washing is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company, Derby's original craft brewer. Uh, Kutch, we've still got our voices after uh, celebrating wildly Derby's, uh, Derby's equaliser. Um, I'm assuming you're going to frame your match ticket because we can actually say we were there when Derby County scored a goal away from home in open play. Incredible scenes. Yeah, it's been a it's been a pretty tough away season. I, I pity the fans that have been to every single away game this season. I think that was my fifth game, and that was the first goal that I'd seen. But we celebrated celebrated it like it was 2019, and uh, God, God help us because we not just needed a goal to kick our season up the, again, but we actually needed a goal to keep ourselves in breathing space of the uh, of the bottom three. So, as it stands after this game, Derby are six points clear of the bottom three in the championship um, at the moment the table is as follows uh, Wigan bottom 20 from 24 Barnsley second bottom 20 from 24 uh, Luton 22nd 21 points Stoke 21st 21 points Huddersfield 20th 25 points Reading 19th 26 points uh, Middlesbrough a place below Derby on 18th with 27 points and Derby 
in 17th place after 24 games with 27 points and a minus 10 goal difference. Um, it's all very well saying we got a point today, Kutch, but for long periods, we didn't look like getting one. We only rescued one in the last few minutes. Uh, with that in mind, should we be looking over our shoulder? Are we in a relegation scrap now? Uh, I think any time, Chris, when we're reading the bottom upwards of the table, uh, we probably are. I'd say we are in a relegation scrap. Uh, that looked like a relegation scrap to, to me today from from both teams. Obviously, Wigan bottom of the table, and we didn't we didn't look like the better team. Um, and again, last week we lost three 0 to another team which below us in the league. And these next two games are really important against teams in, in and around us. Um, the, the team looks like it's in a relegation scrap, and unless we start picking up points soon, we will find ourselves in the relegation zone. And then we absolutely are in a relegation scrap. I mean, yeah, some of it's ability, some of it's confidence. I think some of it's luck, to be honest. If, if you look at things that happened today, like Bielik having to go off five minutes before half-time, I wasn't entirely sure why that was. I mean, he had uh, committed a, a, a few cynical fouls, been booked for one of them, and it looked like he was walking the line a little bit. But even so, like, surely Koku can trust one of his, uh, you know, one of his best players to not commit a second yellow card-worthy offence in the second half. Maybe he took a knock, I don't know. But the whole situation with him going off was symptomatic of, of how just how badly everything is going at the moment. Yeah, I think I think it was a combination of both. He obviously, I think he committed at least four, maybe five fouls. I think he got booked and then committed two more fouls in quite quick succession. Uh, it was a scrappy game. There was lots of loose balls in midfield. You could easily see him committing another one. And he had gone down twice and received treatment at least once, maybe only once. But I thought maybe it was a combination of a knock and... Cocky thinking I can't afford him to get a suspension or to get an injury so I think it was 41 minutes he came off just it was about four or five minutes before half time I think it's probably the right decision after he got booked I would say maybe he should come off because it looked like the kind of game there was lots of fouls there was lots of late hits uh, it wasn't a particularly dirty game because it was so scrappy there was lots of balls bouncing around midfield and we were generally losing that battle and fair play to Bielik he was one of the only ones really putting himself in there and I thought he was one of our better players but he was giving away so many fouls and I think probably the right decision but not, not a great thing to have to do. I mean the, the discipline has to come into it surely because this came after the Reading game where we had what seven seven yellows and one red um, I might be wrong that might have been six or, or, or eight but anyway basically the sort of uh, disciplinary performance that gets you fined um, and I wonder if part of that is sort of frustration really and uh, you know the fact that we shouldn't really be where we are but um, we're we're losing our heads yeah Lawrence did it again today um, with what looked like a a pretty bad foul almost off the ball Um, do you think discipline is 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 part of the problem for us because I mean it's, it's starting to look that way it's a strange one, isn't it? Because I wouldn't exactly say that this team is... One of the main complaints about this team is they look a bit lethargic and they're not getting around the pitch quick enough. To me, the fouls today were often because we were slow off on our heels and we were late to the ball. I think last week against Reading, um, we did have a lot of yellow cards. I think that a lot of that was down to an absolute awful refereeing performance. I actually thought the team battled a lot harder against Reading on Saturday. I, w- I wouldn't be too upset about the, the discipline. It has been obviously a factor in the last two matches, but Again, against Reading, I put a lot down to the referee. And today, I don't think the referee was great. I don't think it was bad, as bad as it was against ref, uh, as against Reading. But I thought today was more of us just being second to the ball too many times and getting caught out on fouls. I mean, it looked like for at least the first half, Wigan were well on top today. And they're, and they're, the worst, they're comfortably the worst team in, t- in this division. And the home record is appalling. They just scored, what, 10 or 11 goals all season. They're just not the sort of team that we should be being outplayed by for the entire first half really we had little snippets in the first half Wagon had a half decent chance which he missed Bogle had a, a decent chance as well um, but we are just 
our own worst enemies so many times. It seems like Fozzy, God love him, j- just has that that god awful error in him every single game at what? the moment. Every single time, there's there's some sort of opportunity where there's a basic ball on. He doesn't concentrate. I, I mean, he he's got some attributes, but he the number of times he gave it away in the first half. I tweeted as such towards the end of that first half today. He he, he cannot pick a pass at the moment. No, it, the, for, the problem with Forsyth, and I'm one of his biggest defenders, and I lost patience with him today, is that when he gets himself into a rut, when he obviously lose confidence, he just gets worse and worse. I would definitely take him out of the team uh, before uh, our next match against Charlton. Um, he, he's got no confidence whatsoever when he's good he's really good I'd even move him to left back or I'd take him out of the team altogether at the moment I'd probably take him out of the team altogether he must have misplaced at least four maybe five passes really bad passes in that first half his decision making's poor he often seems to play it between two different players and, and giving the ball away from centre back is literally the worst thing you can do apart from giving it away straight from the goalkeeper and we've done that a few times as well so I, I'd get him out of the team I don't think Curtis Davis looks great next to him I just think the defence is really, really worrying at the moment. I'm going to give Wigan some credit, we're talking about defence there, for the goal they did score because, albeit Derby had a couple of chances to clear, I think it was Bogle who, who got stuck underneath the, the bouncing ball in the area and then Fozzie is out-muscled basically by Joe Garner but it's, uh, it's, a, it's a, hell of a hell of a finish when we watched it back. It's a decent acrobatic uh, strike but again, you could argue quite clearly that the ball shouldn't even have been in that position in the first place. Yeah, we shouldn't be conceding volleys on our six yard on our six yard line. And Forsyth was completely out muscled. He didn't really challenge for the ball at all. We let the player use his body to muscle him off. Bogle missed two. Um, he kind of got his body in the way, but didn't really clear it. Waghorn is standing still on the penalty spot, not moving. Um, I thought there was multiple players completely caught out. Curtis Davis looked like he was ball watching as well next to Forsyth. What you want is a defender to come absolutely steaming through and just own that. Even if he clatters everyone at the same time, head that ball out get it out and we haven't got a defender that would do that and I, I thought Curtis Davis was that kind of player but he's not doing that at the moment so we're going to come on to the actual goals or, or Derby's goal we're, we're going to give it a full half an hour on that goal because God knows we might not score another one another one for a while so let's uh, let's drink it in but we did say uh, this is our last pod of the calendar year um, we've uh, had plenty of ups and downs it's fair to say even by uh, Derby County standards and it may seem an age ago right now that we had that uh, that epic playoff win at Ellen Road, but uh, it was uh, seven months ago now, and we released a podcast shortly afterwards, one of our most popular episodes that we've ever done, unsurprisingly, where we uh, recorded some of the emotional reactions on the full-time whistle after the Rams rewrote history to beat Leeds in their own backyard and reach the playoff final. Now, we know that the trip to Wembley didn't quite go as planned of course but uh, in the first of our best of 2019 clips here's the moment that we got to Wembley and what we made of afterwards in podcast episode 55.
Were we part of one of the greatest player semi-final legs of all time? I think there's no doubt in that. Absolutely no doubt. The fact that first time in 33 years, a team has lost at home and then gone away from home to win and go through. Um, yeah, that's no doubt one of the greatest comebacks in playoff history. Uh, one of the greatest matches. Like It looked dead and buried for Derby after 44 minutes. So we didn't look like we were going to score and create uh, the opportunities that we'd hoped that we would do. Um, and with 46 minutes to go, I wasn't I wasn't as confident as I had been on the previous pod, uh, thinking we were going to go through. So what an unbelievable effort! And I think yes, definitely. I had a, I had a lot of neutral neutral friends texting me during the match, you know, particularly during the, the last forty six minutes of the match, just wondering what the hell was going on and completely engrossed by that match. Which so is did ob- I actually? Obviously yeah. a good sign. And, and the only one that kind of really stands out as another playoff semi final to compete would be the Leicester Watford game with the with the penalty uh, miss and the, and the last minute goal but you know with everything that went on with the game the the characters involved Lampard and Bielsa and and the spy background and you know two huge clubs with a rivalry going back 50 years and then that second half drama as well I think I think it will go down as the most memorable and, and not to mention a sellout Ellen Road and a sellout Pride Park in, in both legs as well I mean huge two huge clubs just absolutely smashing it out of each other what a night that was hey eh? to be back uh back on those, those that summer night in, in Ellen Road again but uh, snap out of it because we are going back to the more depressing here and now uh, the years coming to a close as we know so we asked our listeners on Twitter at Steve Bloomerpod to sum up 2019 for Derby County in five words had some great great answers as always um, Kevin James Wood came in with got to Wembley then nosedived Timothy Todd said, nearly there, but now nowhere. <laughs> um, you're probably going to get a sense of theme through these. Uh, not, not, all, not all negative, though. Uh, Roy McHugh said, uh, up and down, great crack. He loves it, does Roy? He does. And Kurt Lewin said, everyone is waiting for Rooney, and uh, certainly amen to that one. Uh, Gary Harrison chipped in on Twitter with, early promise, slowly petered away. And Mike Massey from playoffs to wayoffs. Uh, Mick Massey and uh, his was the, his was the best one so I want to give him credit for that uh, Michael Archer said being patient really effing sucks yep I think we do need to be patient but I agree with that uh, Andy Halstead hopefully a work in progress hope so hope so uh, Harry Rudkin tweeted us he said playoffs turned into dawning realisation and Gregory P we peaked back in May absolutely and uh, finally on Twitter uh, Pete Lee he, uh, regular listener, he tweeted us to say the good, bad and ugly. So uh, we'll come on to Derby's goal in uh, in that game and look forward to 2020. But uh, don't forget, you can, you can subscribe to Steve Bloomer's Washing, of course. You can find us on uh, Apple Podcasts and Spotify and SoundCloud. And don't forget to give us a follow on social as well. It's uh, at Steve Bloomer Pod on Twitter and on Facebook and Instagram. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky-Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. So when we look back on that equalising goal, was it in the second minute of injury time, I think, in the end? It came through, a bit <coughs> it came through on BBC Sport as a 90 plus 3, so yeah, that would be the second. Yeah, uh, yeah. In, in almost every other situation, like a, a 93rd minute goal should be cause for absolute pandemonium and unconfined joy but it, it's a weird feeling when, when we scored that it just felt like a sort of a mixture of 
not being ashamed and sort of mild relief, really. <laughs> yeah, I think relief is probably the optimum word and surprise as well. I think I was, I don't think any of us really saw it coming. I think our best spell of the game actually came immediately after half time. We had a, a good spell of pressure, but no one really wanted to get a shot away. And we resulted to, you know, balls into the box. And, you know, it was one of Dwayne Holmes's, I think, the, probably one of the first throw ins we've scored from. It was knocked on at the, at the front post, not exactly who, who's sure by. Jack Marriott gets a second knock on and wag on, you know, all he can do, get it, hit it hard, hit it on target. That's what he does. And the defender can only deflect it into the, into the top of the net. So, just just pure relief we, we were quite close to the goal right behind it and uh, it was pure relief of course there was celebration and it's an important point on this on the scheme of things but a relief to see we finally scored a goal away from pride park and uh unlikely long long throw specialist in Dwayne Holmes and I'm just um I'm really glad that that Waghorn has has got a goal because I mean he's he hasn't looked great recently at all there's not really much more you can say he's wasted chances um balls been bouncing off him but I'm assuming he's going to claim that one, even though the defender roofed it on the line. I think it was definitely his goal. So, yeah, really pleased to see him on a score sheet. But uh, all we can really do is is, is talk about recurring themes, really, like old Craig Forsyth um, committing that, that, the sort of cardinal sin that that we mentioned before of, of, of passing across his own box and misplacing the pass. I know you have to give him credit and say that he's not a centre back. Uh, He's trained as one since pre-season but it's he he needs a rest it's time for him to go isn't it what you, I mean you say that but we haven't got anyone else to put instead yeah I agree I mean we we, we all you know we joined the bandwagon when he when he started that game uh his first game at center back a few, a few about a month ago and he did very well but there's always that feeling that a player can only do that for so long and really he only really had a couple of convincing games in the position and it hasn't been great since then um I don't think it works with him and Curtis Davis I think the only option really would be to either drop Bielik back but I think we need him in that midfield or you can give Andre Wisdom a run at uh, right centre-back maybe and Curtis Davis move over to left centre-back which he has played quite a lot um, he played at left centre-back I believe when, when Keogh was in the team with him uh, under Gary Rowett so that's what I would do now I would look at moving Andre Wisdom in at centre-back and see if he's got a chance until we either get Matt Clark back fit or maybe we bring a centre-back in in the January transfer window because we definitely we definitely need one now you mentioned it there is talk of uh, a move that it sounds like it'd be bit of a transfer coup for Philippe Benkovic who is um, uh, a Leicester centre-back who they signed for £13 million, but hasn't really played for them as yet uh, he had an impressive loan spell at Celtic last season under Brendan Rodgers who is now Leicester manager of course uh, he's, uh, he's he's a big guy six foot four I think he's left-footed I could be wrong on that though but we uh, had a chat with our contact north of the border who um, who uh, a national Football journalist, friend of ours, who's been on the podcast before, who watches a lot of him and of Scottish football, and he he seemed impressed by him. He said that um, he's got good positional play, uh, good anticipation and awareness, and is a good talker, despite being uh, Croatian, like English isn't his first language. I mean, he sounds on paper like the exact sort of person we need to bring in. Well, yeah, he certainly sounds like the exact kind of player we need to bring him, whether or not we get him or not. We'll see him in John Percy, who I think was the, was the journalist that possibly broke that story originally, who's normally a reliable source, but it did say that we are one of many championship clubs in for him. So it's just whether or not we can convince the player and Leicester that we are the right place to come. I do think that we've got a good track record of having players on loan. Uh, I wouldn't imagine it's a loan to a view to a permanent if they've invested £13 million of him, but he might be a very important loan player for us. I give him some more game time, which Leicester will want him to have. Philip Cock 
Valkyries are respected manager, so there's just a chance that we will, we could get him, but I'm sure there'll be competition from teams higher up the table, it's just whether or not he wants to come to Derby. If you look at the players available, assuming hypothetically we did get Benkovic, I know it's a long way off and we don't actually know how good he is, but if it's him, Clark, Davis and Wisdom, let's chuck in Forsyth as well for the sake of it, Who who's a centre-back pairing for you? I... I I know I've just slagged off Davis numerous times in, in the last 10 minutes, but I think you've you've got to keep Davis in the team for now. I think give him a chance with another good centre-back. I think it's not always easy if you are the dominant centre-back and your partner keeps changing and they're not necessarily turning up. I think Clark will have to play his way back into the team again. I thought Clark and Davis were just starting to get something before Clark got injured, but I think probably bring Benkovic in alongside Davis. That team is full of young players at the moment. If Davis can find some form and some having some experience in that in that core skeleton we, will be really important. So it, for me, it's got to be Davis. Yeah, so problems either way at uh, at the back for Derby. I thought Hamer was... Uh didn't have a terrible game. He, he made a, a few decent saves in the uh, in the first half today. But looking further forward, here comes the Jack Marriott debate again because he got more game time this week. We have to we have to point out he came on about the fifty seven mark, I think something around something around that. So got a good a good half an hour. What do you make of his performance? I thought he certainly livened Derby up, whether or not they livened up because he came on or, or livened up generally, but he, we, Derby looks a lot more lively. He offers a threat in behind, which Wagwan doesn't run in behind enough. Chris Martin's never going to kind of offer a threat in behind. Run anywhere. Yeah, well, or run anywhere, fair enough. But Jack Marriott did look lively. You know, he got, we looked like the, the team wanted to hit him. Bogle found him from a frick, quick free kick, which uh, Marriott managed to get a shot off. He looked like he snatched it. I think you said that, Chris, at, at the time, and I think that probably shows he's got a lack of game time. I, I'm, I'm one of Jack Marriott's more harsher critics, but I, I would like to see him start in the next match, to be honest. Now he's had a bit more game time. You know, there, are, there is talk of us moving him on or other teams interested, so let's just see if he can find some kind of form to stop that happening. Because we all want to see a fit Jack Marriott playing regularly and scoring goals to Derby. Now, for whatever reason, he's not convincing Cocker and he never convinced Lampard that he can do that on a regular basis. So let's give him that chance and let's see if he can deliver. Because there's, there's definitely a player in there, but when, he needs to be given the opportunity to show it before we write him off. Yeah, he. Uh, I thought he, he he did put himself about when he came on today, but he almost looked a little bit too keen to uh, you know to get shots off and to and to to make an impression. That was like that sort of ball down the channel where he got him behind. It's a ridiculous angle. He was never gonna. It would have been an absolute worldie to to have found the bottom corner from that from the, an angle as acute as that. But I just felt he could have maybe held it up there, tried to fit it across goal for for someone coming in at the back post or something. But yeah, in general, he did okay. But there are those links to him going away in January, uh, been linked with a loan move to Hull. I mean, aside from anything else, uh, you always wonder about the logic of loaning one of your players to a, an immediate rival. Um, but it seems like Marriott isn't particularly happy about his lack of minutes. Um, and Koku seems determined not to really give him minutes. Um, so what I wanted to ask you was where you think responsibility for Marriott lies really either if it's either between Koku or Marriott himself I mean for me Koku is his manager uh Koku is the person who it's literally his job to motivate him if he's not pulling his weight in training to, to to make him produce the numbers to make him put in the hard yards do the stuff that isn't pretty in training to um to, to make himself physically fit enough um and he has shown He's got that record, even though it was at Peterborough in League One, where he was what like the, the scored the most goals in the calendar year in Europe or, or whatever it was. 
Well, I mean, wh- wh- where do you stand in it? Do you, how how do you fix Jack Marriott? Is it him or is it Koku and the coaching staff? I've, I think it's, I think it's I think it's a bit of both. I think it's probably more him. It's not like Koku's frozen him out, is it? I mean, he's he's on the bench. He's he's in and around the squad. He's coming on. He, got, he came on for a good chunk today. I thought if he'd come on with only five minutes to go, I think that would have been a sign that Koku's uh, fed up with him. But um, he did come on as you said with about half an hour to go. So that was a good game time. He did make a difference. I think he I think he has put his hand up today for a start against Charlton. And uh, look, if you asked me a week ago, I probably would have said. I wouldn't mind if he went. I'd be gutted because it would be a missed opportunity. As I said, there's a, there's a player there and I think someone will get the best out of him in this championship for at least one season or half a season. He could go to Hull and score 15 goals in the second half of this season. Uh, but it's not happening for him at the moment at Derby. But let's give him... Obviously, he's got at least one more game before one more game before January and a game on the 2nd of January. It's two chances for him to, to put his hand up again. I think Koku probably... I'm sure that the coaching staff is gagging for him to make an impact, gagging for him to score goals because no one else is scoring goals. So someone needs to be putting the ball in the net. So I'd give him a start. If he goes, I wouldn't be as devastated as other as other fans because I just don't think he's he's merited uh, merited staying. But there is a player there, so it would just feel like we'd given up. And it's always feels horrible when you give up on a player and you see him going somewhere else and, and possibly do the business, which we've seen happen with plenty of other players. And he- and you just know that if we did get rid of him, he would eventually bang in the goals somewhere, and yeah. uh, <laughs> you wouldn't hear the end of it on uh, on Twitter. But anyway, we'll come back to that in a second. Uh, another little look back on the year now for us. So in the past twelve months, and on this podcast, we've hunted down a few more Rams heroes um, over the in 2019, including. This year, uh, 90s cult hero Paolo Wanchop, who we interviewed in the summer, uh, he told us some uh, some really great stories about his time at Derby, which were particularly poignant in light of the recent passing of former manager Jim Smith. So uh, here is Paolo Wanchop talking about the, uh, the Bald Eagle, his debut at Manchester United and that famous goal at Old Trafford in 1997. We were on the way to from the hotel to the to the Old Trafford, and and I remember Jim Smith. He asked me if 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 I would like to put some music in, on on the couch and on the bus, and uh, and I said yes, I would like to put some salsa music. So we 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 end up listening, uh, you know, from the hotel to the Old Trafford, <laughs> some some salsa music. Well, it was it was obviously um, it was Mark Poom's debut as well. Mark so I, I guess the choice was either Costa Rican salsa or. Estonian yes. heavy metal. Whatever. Of course, <laughs> everyone would like uh, to hear some salsa. So, <laughs> so what, what did the rest of the team think of the salsa? Well, they did were they enjoy like, it? You know, they, they were, Dancing they on the were, bus? They were, yeah, they were <laughs> very happy. And, and, and uh, it was a good, you know, it's, it's, it was good from, from, from Jim Smith to, to do that because that would make me relax at that time. Was he, was he always good at making you? Was he? Was he a good man manager? Was that his? his he was main good. Strength? Yeah, I remember him. Uh, was really tough in 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 the dressing room. You know, was you know his personality, strong personality, but that helped me uh, helped me a lot. You know, because um, you know back in Costa Rica, you're like more uh, more relaxed. So obviously, we're talking about Old Trafford. So we're obviously going to ask you about yep. that goal voted Derby County's greatest goal in the history in, in 2009 when you got the ball what, what what was going through your mind was it get to the goal and shoot as quickly as possible I tell you was was a big surprise for me as well I, I didn't play up front I played at the right and 
they asked me before if if I could play over there, and I say, of course, I I can play, I can do it, no problem. And the and the goal comes from from that side, you know. I receive the ball there and just make a diagonal and and, and score that that goal, and that was you know a good impression for for everyone because um, when I came over here the first time. Sometimes, you know, people say, that, well, he's from Costa Rica. In Costa Rica, they play football or house football over there. So um, it's good for me to, to start like that. And, and, and everyone uh, were very impressed, even, uh, you know, teammates, everyone supporting me. And, and that was a, you know, great, great start. Paolo Anshop there in uh, another Steve Bloom's washing player interview that we did earlier in the summer. So... I know it seems hard to do it, Kutch, but we always do try to think of some positives in away performances. I mean, we've seen our first goal of the season. That's, that, that's a positive. We'd, we'd literally sat through four or five um, defeats without scoring on the road this season, personally. So, you know, high five on that one. <laughs> uh, but on the pitch, there weren't a, a, an, an array of brilliant performances, really. Basically, a lot of sixes and sevens at best but uh, you picked out Jason Knight who it looks like of all the youngsters is the one who is starting to look like he's going to nail down a first team spot now Absolutely I think Jason Knight's been our best player in the last two games I thought he was absolutely fantastic against Reading um, he's really good on the ball he beats players and you know what he puts himself about like he, he battles like he was one of the few players today that actually was winning his 50-50s he won a lot of good tackles a lot of good moments in the Reading game he hit the bar in the Reading game he had a few, two or three shots from outside the area which were like on target or close um, he just got good quality and there's an excellent moment in the second half right when we were starting to put the pressure on at the start of the second half today against Wigan where Jason Knight beat two players he got into the box beat a player and he pulled the ball back and no one got their shot off which was kind of the story story of the day but I just think he's starting to look like a really good player in that midfield um, definitely overshadowing uh, Dwayne Holmes I think Dwayne Holmes has started to look a bit better last couple of games I think there's been signs in the last couple of games that Derby are starting to play a bit better there's still the usual problems at the back which we've already talked about but I feel like Holmes and Knight look like a decent operation in the midfield and if Bielik can get fit and start 90 minutes and not be at risk of getting sent off in every match then I think you've got the makings of the midfield there particularly when Shinny comes back and you can add Rooney potentially into that mix but Jason Knight for me is is really grabbing hold of that shirt now that's two really good games in a row let's see can he go on a run three four five matches because that's always the, the risk with young players is that they don't you know they, they will go hot and cold but Jason Knight certainly for me is is, is one of our better players at the moment I, mean, I do still want to see Shinny first choice when he comes back uh, don't get me wrong I but would, I would drop Holmes then would you really Contr- yeah. controversial I mean I would still go Shinny Bielik Holmes I think but I don't think that, that that doesn't mean that that Knight certainly can't be a, a fourth option or could be rotated in through injury or suspension or bad form. Um, on the right, another player who probably could have got subbed off in in the first half because he was walking a disciplinary tightrope as well was uh, was Jaden Bogle. Uh, had a couple of, had his usual couple of good moments getting forward, cutting in from the right, etc. Um, but he got into a bit of trouble in the first half, and he's also been linked with a move away apparently there are several uh, Premier League clubs circling uh, looking to uh, stick a bid in in January so I guess the question is Kutch A would you sell him and B what fee would you accept for him we've talked about this before and I think I've got I can remember the answer but has that changed since we talked about it about six months ago I'm not sure if you I'm not sure if I can remember my answer uh, six months ago but I 
I wouldn't. I think the reported fee at the moment is eight. The Athletic was saying eight million pounds, and I think the Telegraph said seven million pounds. For me, that's not enough. I think it's got to be more than ten. I think it's got to be double figures. Um, I wouldn't. The state derby in at the moment, I do not think we could be selling our or one of our best players, probably our best player. Um, we have got a potential ready-made right-back and Andre Wisdom to come in, but he's not as effective as Bogle. Um, we are potentially in a relegation scrap, as we discussed, and selling your best player is not a good look. And if, we, if we've if we got new investment coming in, in, in at the end of this month, reportedly, do we need to be raising funds through player sales? Uh, you wouldn't have thought so. I mean, the new investment kind of thing is a red herring. In terms of FFP, it doesn't make a difference, I don't think, for, for FFP because you can only still uh, spend what you've got coming in. And if the, if the stadium sale was, was legitimate, then we actually haven't got a problem on, on the FFP side anyway. So there shouldn't be any pressure to sell whether investment or no investment. It's just whether or not they think that, you know, they, they've got to make the decision, has his value peaked? And are they getting more money than what he's worth? I would say eight million. You're not getting more money than he's worth. And I would, I would give it another six months, particularly as we may well need all the good players we can have in the second half of the season. I mean, whatever he's worth now, I think he'll, he'll his his value is still only on the rise. It's only going up and up and up. Um, it's like you know buying property in London. In well, in theory. Well, buy buy low, sell high is what they say. Yeah. And not in Catford, um, but, but he, you know, in May he could be uh, he he could be a fifteen to seventeen million pound fullback if he's like a ten to twelve at the moment. So I think we've got to hold our nerve here. We've got to we've we've got to look at how much he could be worth. Look at the potential. Look at the return on investment, and and stick to our guns. But whether we do or not is a different matter. Uh, time for another clip now. Another best of moment from Steve Bloom's washing from the year and one of our favourite interviews that we did today actually was with uh, Scottish midfield legend Craig Bryson who he spoke to earlier this season uh, just three or four episodes ago in facts uh, he was uh, he was candid humble and uh, and honest was Bryson when he uh, when he told us about his eight years at Derby County earlier this season um, it was a really good chat and you can uh, listen to it back in podcast 68 but uh, for now here's a clip of Bryso telling us why he didn't always get on with Steve McLaren after the the Wembley final it's probably fair to say that me and uh, the gaffer never really seen eye that much after then so I kind of thought for a bit that it might have been best for me to move on but I think when I spoke to my, my family and stuff and, and Derby came back and offered me a contract and the way we lost the final I just thought do you know what it's it's not time for me to leave. I, I don't want to leave. I, I want to be, stay here. I want to be part of it. The Derby fans and club have been like magnificent to me ever since the first day I walked through the door. And I thought like to leave on that note, getting beat in the last minute, I just didn't think it would be right, to be honest. And I wanted to stay and I thought, if I'm going to have a chance to play in the Premiership, then I want that to be with Derby. And yeah, I'll, I'll just sacrifice myself for that. And unfortunately for me, I never got a chance to do so because we, we basically failed in the, the, the years after that. But it was, it was a chance I was willing to take. You mentioned there, Bryce, don't mind me picking up on it, that you didn't really see eye to eye with, uh, with with Steve McLaren. What do you what do you mean by that? What, you said that came from after the Wembley final. Yeah, I obviously came from the Wembley final. Like, I obviously picked up a, a niggle in the first leg away at Brighton in, like, I don't know, the 94th minute or something. Um, and I felt that he just picked the team for the final based on one game in the home leg. I thought that 
after we scored the first goal at home at Brighton, the game was basically finished. Like they, they had gone. I didn't think they were ever going to get back in the game. And also the lads played unbelievable on that day. And I just felt that the gaffer had picked the team based on one game instead of the 46 previous games. And then we had we had a couple of conversations and stuff. Uh, the way kind of told me wasn't great, that I wasn't going to play. The things he'd said previous to me, in my opinion, weren't great either. And then like coming back for the next season, the couple of conversations... <laughs> probably weren't great either <laughs> to be honest so we, we never really had that a great relationship after that final but I said he spoke to what I remember a, a couple of players asking how they would feel if they never played me in the final and I just I just didn't think that was right Silent Kutch just a few more days to go in the calendar year uh, you enjoyed it on a, on a personal level 2019 uh, yeah, on the whole, I think. I think you, you, you obviously look back to last season. The, the back end of last season was, was magical. Getting into the playoffs was a good run. Obviously, the playoffs semi-finals, uh, we weren't lucky enough to be at Ellen Road, but we were in the stage door in Waterloo, the Derby County f- uh, fan pub in London, and had probably the best night of of that year. It, easily the best night of 2019. I mean, you, you had a child, Chris, so you probably can't quite say that. But, um, well, you know, they're, they're on a par. Um, for, for, for different reasons <laughs> um, so yeah that, that was an absolutely great moment obviously Wembley didn't go the way we thought but in general we saw some great goals we saw some excellent players in the likes of Harry Wilson Mason Mount obviously Jack Marriott Spell and and, and Fikeo Tamori as well obviously plenty of negatives but generally I'd look back on this year as being one of the more eventful uh, in the life of a Derby County fan but uh, as one year ends another begins so uh, we tried to think of some New Year's resolutions for Derby County players, staff, anyone connected with the club, uh, the few that I've got, I think Jack Marriott just needs to just start doing laps or something. You know, press ups in his bedroom. I don't know. I don't really care. Just whatever it does to 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 make him worthy or deemed a uh, you know a, a star striker who can actually start and finish games. So he needs to get fit. Um, Craig Forsyth really needs to stop passing the ball across his own defence and taking stupid risks. I mean, he feel that should be a given, but I feel if he could write that down or verbalise it, he might actually stop doing it. So that's his New Year's resolution. Um, I really, really wish Tom Lawrence would just get his head up and, and stop taking pot shots from 35 yards. Because how many times has he really done damage with those types of opportunities compared to when he could play someone in? Do something better with the ball. Keep a move going, or just, or just get, or just get to the byline. You know, go down the left sometimes because the defender keep the defender guessing. Because at the moment, the defender knows every time he's going to come inside, so it's just it's just predictable. You said that today, didn't you? When he Lawrence got the ball a couple of times on the left, which isn't his best position to be fair, but he it was being telegraphed every time. And uh, well, I mean, he scored today, but I really do wish Martin Michael would just work on his on his finishing. Uh, <laughs> I feel if he could, if he could, if he worked on it to the point where he scored an extra five goals a season, how much more useful would he be to this team? Have you got any more to add to those? I think uh, I think a settled back four would be nice. Um, a goalkeeper that can dominate that we own would be nice. I think Ben Hamer's made progress. I think Ben Hamer's brought a degree of solidity to the back. I don't think he's extremely convincing, but I think he's doing a better job than Keller Ruse has done. Uh, they would be they would be my two main ones a back a settled back four that we can that we can trust and and you know what if we're going to pass it out from the back learn how to pass it out from the back because they don't look like they know and if that's Cocker's philosophy then it needs some fine tuning can't argue with that but well we we can't imagine this we can't do this part about talking about old uh, Awaza Wayne Wayne Rooney on the way in a matter of days 
only a week, in fact, yeah. till till Rooney will be pulling on the famous black and white of Derby County to actually play for our football club. Um, however crap we are at the moment, it's an incredibly exciting time for for the club. However good he turns out to be, I'm I'm genuinely really really pumped for for, for Rooney time. I don't know about you, but the question. I wanted to ask you is, he's got his debut on the second against Barnsley at home. Uh, so he's got the whole second half of the season. Right here, right now, how many goals will Wayne Rooney score in all competitions? I'm going to go for a modest eight. Okay. I thought you were going to go double figures, actually. I will say a slightly less modest uh, 11. No, 10. Because we're going to lose to Palace and <laughs> Rory out the League Cup. So I'll say 10 goals we in it. all cups right yeah yeah 10 goals in half a season is really good you're halfway to being a 20 goal a season striker oh that's good that's good maths i mean i mean rooney i remember my one of my favorite memories of wayne rooney not in an england shirt is his champions league debut um i think it was fenerbahce was it uh, when he scored a hat trick a sort of free kick and he scored just his absolute classic rooney and uh i'm just really hoping can you imagine a wayne rooney hat trick on debut i mean that would I'll, i would have just landed in south africa i'll be watching it somewhere uh on a vpn i, I assume and uh yeah i just that would that would make that would make my that would make my 2020 actually i'll i'll, I'll be happy of that if he's just even close to being as good as i hope he can be and that we know he is then it could be a special second half of the season and, you know, might even stay up. So (laughs) on that cheery note, uh, we will leave it there. We're going to return with the podcast after the Barnsley game. We're going to to review Rooney's debut, or what we hope is his debut, immediately after. And uh, we've got a Palace friend of ours who will be previewing that third round trip to Southhurst Park. But uh, until then, Richard, thanks for your time. Thank you very much. I'm just going to open the car door and uh, see myself out and uh, see you again next time. See you, Chris.